Good to see everybody. Um, our online church, you may or may not know, I, we have some very faithful people that live all over the country uh, that watch us every Sunday. And they send me emails, and they're just as much a part of the church as any of us. Uh, the Spirit of God knows no walls. Amen? Amen. Amen. Interesting uh, video choice, Jackie. I might have to start vetting those ahead of time. Uh, our children's director, Lisa, she uh, not feeling good this weekend, so she stayed at home. You might pray for her healing. Uh, yesterday, I called Jackie. I said, can you do the children's sermon? She said, yes. And then she looked up the scripture. And it's a pretty challenging scripture, right? You know, cutting off your hand or your foot or plucking out your eyeball and millstones around your neck. And how do you get a nice children's sermon out of that? Not easy. How do you get a good adult sermon out of that, right? Maybe we can sneak up on it a little bit and, and maybe hear what we need to hear. Um, I'm going to start with a story, as I often do. Um, my son Daniel, uh, when we were living in Lampasas, and the boys were still at home, and my son Daniel, I think was about 15, maybe 16, um, one night, uh, Brenda and I went out on a date. We, went, we told the boys we're going to Colleen on a date, uh, which in Lampasas was code for we're going shopping, okay? <laughs> Because if we said we're going shopping, then they would want to come along because they want to go to GameStop and they want to go to Mr. Getty's when we got to play arcade games. And we, we needed an adult restaurant and some adult shopping, okay? So uh, we, uh, we ended up at the Clean Mall. And I don't even remember how or why, but we ended up in Claire's, which is what the ubiquitous... Uh, costume jewelry shop in every mall in America, or at least it used to be. And so Brenda and I, we bought fake nose rings, okay? That there's a little magnet, and they clip on, and it looks like you got the side of your nose pierced. And so Brenda and I go home, and we tell the boys, hey, look, we got our noses pierced. And so Daniel, my teenager, he walks up and he says, Oh, those are fake, and he tugs on mine. And I went, Daniel, no, it hurts. We just got these pierced. And for the rest of my life, I will never forget the look of sheer terror and horror that came across his face, right? Because there's nothing more terrible for a teenager than your parents trying to be cool unsuccessfully <laughs> right and I just I started laughing I couldn't take it anymore when I was uh, I'm sure it's true for every generation since since Adam and Eve perhaps uh, when I was a teenager uh, what we all really wanted was long hair okay um, for a couple reasons I guess for me personally of course the girls liked it Okay, um, and our parents hated it. Okay, I think maybe when you're a teenager, the definition of cool is that thing that your parents don't like. Okay, and our parents did not like the long hair. The the dads, the men, they were 
constantly razzing us about looking like girls. Um, the girls, they wanted long straight hair, no makeup, t-shirt, jeans, sneakers. And it drove their World War II generation mothers crazy, okay? My mom back in the day, if, if I asked her to go to the grocery store without makeup and a t-shirt, I might as well have asked her to run down the street naked, okay? <laughs> Just that was not who they were. All of which was confusing to me uh, in two ways. Um, I guess first, the, the older generation seemed to think that somehow having long hair was a moral issue. That somehow it was a character deficiency. That there was something fundamentally wrong that we needed to stop doing and, and get right. And that there was something wrong with us because we just wanted long hair, right? Uh, second, the, the thing that bugged me, the, the judgmental pushback, was confusing to me because I grew up uh, very immersed in the life of the church, and, and I had church people uh, pushing on me that this was, there was something wrong with me, this was a moral issue. And in that church, every single painting of Jesus, Jesus had long hair. Okay, I couldn't find a painting of Jesus where he had a marine buzz cut, okay? Now... Okay, just so I don't sound too judgmental, um, my son Daniel, he hasn't gotten a haircut since the pandemic began, and he's got this massive ponytail, and every time we uh, do FaceTime, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I really want to say, get a haircut. You look so good with short hair, right? And I know it's not a moral issue, but it is funny that I could come to that place where I want to tell my kids, get a haircut, get a job. <laughs> okay, he has a job. I guess where I'm headed for is it possible that sometimes different is wrong, but sometimes do we confuse different with wrong? Is it just different? Or is it wrong? And if we think something's wrong, aren't we basically implying that it's sin, right? That someone who is different must be sinful. Which leads us to today's scripture. Because it's all about sin and judging others. Though once again, the 12 disciples get it wrong in exactly the opposite way. Now, when you were hearing this scripture, or if you've read it before, the first thing that might have jumped out to you about, about it is, is, is how Jesus talks in this scripture. He talks about punishment. He talks about the possibility of being thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's pretty tough, harsh talk, right? Now, the word that Jesus uses uh, is literally Gehenna. And... There is a valley around the southern tip of old Jerusalem called the Gehenna Valley. And back in the days of the kings of Israel, it was sometimes used for child sacrifice. And the smoke of human sacrifice would come up from the valley of Gehenna. In Jesus' time, it was a little bit more of a trash dump. And the smoke of burning trash would rise up. And so it was a place of death. It was unclean in every way that you can think of the unclean. And so Gehenna 
becomes sort of a symbolic idiom for death, evil, destruction, ruin, fire, as opposed to life. It is better to enter into life, says Jesus, than into Gehenna. And then he goes off on this. If anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, it's better for them to have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the lake. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life maimed than into Gehenna with two hands. Pluck out your eye. That whole thing. Wow. Does Jesus mean this literally? No. That's not how we've ever really understood that. We understand it that this is hyperbole. It's vivid, harsh, serious language that Jesus used. I think he wants us to get it. I think he wants us to take sin seriously. He wants us to really, really pay attention and get this about how serious this issue is. And so what is the issue? And who is Jesus talking about? Well, if you go back to the de- beginning of today's lesson, you come to what I think is one of the most funny and simultaneously sad scriptures in the Bible, where John says, Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. OMG, right? Oh my gosh. They saw a man doing good, and they told him to stop. They saw a man casting out the demonic, and they said, don't do that, because he was not one of us. Not us. He was doing good, but he was a not us. In other words, different. I think that's all different means. Not us, right? No, do not stop him, says Jesus. No one who does a miracle, or literally, he says, a powerful thing. No one who does a powerful thing in my name in the next can speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. You see them as different, not us, but we're all on the same team. We're all in this together. My paraphrase, of course. It's understandable, I suppose. Uh, I can at least be sympathetic I mean after all they're the original 12 the original apostles they're going to have churches named after them the insiders of insiders there's no way anybody could know Jesus as well as we know Jesus and so a commentary I was reading that when you consider yourself an insider instead of an outsider, when you consider yourself as belonging to the right group instead of the wrong crowd, the us group as opposed to the them group, then you might develop, quote, an unhealthy feeling of specialness. I love that phrase. An unhealthy feeling of specialness. Oh, my gosh. So, who is Jesus speaking to? The twelve, the insiders, the church. And what is Jesus so worried about? Again, what is the issue? This is where he goes off on these little ones, causing these little ones to stumble. Now, most biblical scholars think that in this particular context, the little ones are not children, but new Christians. There's these new Christians out there. They're on fire for Jesus. 
right? But they are not us. And you risk the fires of Gehenna if you make these new Christians, these baby Christians, that might not always be doing it the right way, if you make them stumble from the faith. When I was a teenager, uh, during the summers, I would work for a painting contractor. And one summer, we got the contract to paint the inside of the fellowship hall uh, of the church that I grew up in. And again, I was very immersed in that church. My parents were uh, leaders in that church. Everybody uh, in that church uh, knew who I was, my family. And one day I'm in there, and I'm up on a ladder against the wall, and the ladies of the church came in. Okay, and I had my back to them. I think somehow I was like invisible to them. They didn't recognize me, I think. I don't know that they would have done what they had done if they had known it was me. But they uh, did not like the colors in that fellowship hall. <laughs> and the pastor's wife picked those out and she had those trustees under her little finger and they were bashing the trustees and then the pastor himself, and they were gossiping, and it, it really was a stumbling block for me. It, it bothered me that these Christians who were supposed to be role models in the faith to me could be so mean. Their gossip did harm to me. And I think that's why Jesus takes sin so seriously, especially in the church. Sin does harm. I've probably told this story before. When I was in San Angelo, there was a, uh, a man about 40 years old, and uh, the, the musicians in the band uh, recruited him to church, and he, he found faith in Christ, and it was transformational for him. He was on fire for Jesus. I took him aside, and I said, now that you're excited for Jesus, the devil's going to come after you. And the first place he'll come after you is in the church. Somebody's going to say something to you that you know does not reflect the love of Christ. And it's going to mess with you. And about six months later, he came up to me and he said, I'm so glad you told me that before it happened. So, I worry about this sermon. I, I, the, the danger of preaching is that if you're not careful, you end up getting preachy. <laughs> right? You preach, you proclaim the gospel, and if you're not careful, you cross the line and it gets preachy. So how do I avoid, avoid that? Well, I have to flip it around to me. When have I been a stumbling block? I think that's the way we're all supposed to read scripture not what is this saying to them but what is this saying to me how is God speaking to me through this scripture when have I been a stumbling block when have I said or done something that was harmful, offensive intentional unintentional to a brother or sister in Christ when have I looked down my nose at other Christians when I was a young pastor uh, the new Methodist hymnal came out, and I was pretty excited about it. And my elderly congregation, they were 
interested. They didn't want to spend a nickel on it. They wanted to go back to the closet and pull those Coatsbury uh, hymnals back out. No telling how many eye rolls I did, right? No telling how many heavy sighs. But, you know, I, in the course of that, the Lord taught me that that bringing in the sheaves song that I thought was so hokey, that church in the wildwood, which just seems so old-fashioned, that that's how they came to faith. That they experienced the risen Christ through those songs. And those songs were holy unto them. Of course, sometimes I had to remind them that sometimes you can come to faith with a guitar as well. Joel Olstein, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with Joel Olstein. Over the years, we Methodist pastors have kind of looked down on him. What he preaches is gospel light, and that's too simplistic a theology, and he's just kind of a loose cannon. He doesn't have a bishop. He doesn't have a district superintendent. He doesn't have a system that's 250 years old. I don't know that I really understood Joel Olstein until I went and visited his church. And I think you never judge someone's preaching until you understand who they're preaching to. And he preaches largely to people who have no idea what it means to be a Christian, who didn't grow up with what a lot of us grew up with. When he says that you need to be kind to each other. They weren't getting that message growing up. They come out of very broken homes. When he says, husbands, you have to be the spiritual head of the household in a sacrificial way. They've never heard that before. They do a lot of small groups. They do a lot of 12-step groups. They have a big, sophisticated ministry of casting out the demons unauthorized exorcisms. Be at peace with one another, Jesus says to the church. All of this is what we call sanctification, what the early Methodists called holiness, what we sometimes call growing in grace or spiritual maturity, and it's not easy. I got saved. Now how do I live a saved life? It takes a lot of prayer, discipline, hard work. It's not linear. Two steps forward, five back sometimes. Most of all, humility, forgiveness. I'll end with a song by a group called Cayman's Call. A song called There You Go. Is this a strange feeling of you working all to good because I'm so confused? I don't even ask for what I should. When I asked for and deserved a stone, you broke and gave your body as bread. And even the stone that dropped down and rolled away spoke of the one who bled. There you go, working good for my bad. There you go, making robes for my rags. There you go, melting crowns for my calves. There you go, working good of all I have. So that all that I have is no is not that bad. My prayer for myself is may God's mighty grace and love be upon me to make everything I do 
even when I get it wrong, even when I get it bad, and to good. 